Good morning, and welcome to On Target, a radio ministry of Village Bible Church in Hot Springs Village. We are glad you tuned in today. Village Bible Church has been teaching practical ways to live based upon the truth of the Bible for over 35 years. We hope you will enjoy and benefit from the sermon you'll hear this morning. But we would love to have you visit in person so you can experience the warmth and friendship attenders enjoy each week. We are located near the Coronado Center at 100 Ponderosa Way. Our Sunday morning service starts at 9.15 a.m. It's followed by a fellowship time with coffee and cookies. At 10.50 each Sunday, classes are available to encourage and equip you in your spiritual journey. Now sit back and relax as you listen to a message by Senior Pastor Dr. Jason Lancaster. We hope this message brings encouragement to you. If you have questions, listen at the end of the sermon for contact information. Now here's Jason. Let me let you in on a little secret. We have a great church library. Most church libraries are so boring, outdated, and they should be shut down. When I walked in here when I was candidating over a year ago and I saw that library, I thought, oh no. But I've been in there a lot. Some good books in there. Updated books, even some new releases, some good theology to grow. And I raid that library all the time for some good resources that I'm going to share here with you this morning. First one's a book I was reading recently by Beth Moore. Some of you know her. And the book is called When Godly People Do Ungodly Things. When Godly People Do Ungodly Things. What she did, she interviewed a a variety of people who veered off into sin and to foolishness. And she compiled a list of 16 common claims and denominators when godly people get seduced to do ungodly things. These are the things that they said that they experienced when they fell into sin. And I'm going to share eight of these at the beginning and eight at the end of the sermon when godly people are seduced to do ungodly things. So let me share some of these with you. This is their experience, and I wanna, I'm going to tell you, this may be your experience, but also this is something you can look out for or watch out for so you don't veer into sin. Here we go. Number one, they were caught off guard by a sudden onslaught of temptation or attack. Sometimes sin can just hit you out of nowhere, and many have given in quickly. Number two, the season of overwhelming temptation and seduction often followed huge spiritual markers with God. Can't you relate? You know, you're like you're on the mountaintop, and then the times of testing seem to follow these blessings. Number three, everyone described a mental bombardment. It's like their minds wouldn't stop spinning and looping in sin. Number four, Many of those caught in relational seductions testified that Satan got to them through someone close by. Unfortunately, unhealthy relationships can develop with those closest to you. Number five, many testified to early warning signs. It's like the Holy Spirit was warning them and convicting them, but they rationalized their behavior away. 
Number six, many describe their sudden behavioral patterns as totally uncharacteristic. It's like they were acting out of character and wondering who took over their bodies. Number seven, virtually all of them describe feelings and practices of isolation. This is really a wake-up call for me because my natural tendency is to isolate myself, and that is when I'm the most vulnerable. And number eight, without exception, deception and some level of secrecy are involved. You know, when we were kind of diving off into sin, these are the things that we want to conceal and keep secret. But what is concealed will eventually be revealed. Now, I'm just wondering, any of these so far sound familiar, right? We can all relate to these, these, these patterns, and these ways of thinking that we can get into that can cause us to veer off into sin and to do ungodly things. But we don't want to be those people. We don't want to do that. We don't want to veer off into ungodliness, but walk with the Lord. And so today's message is going to be for every single one of us who are vulnerable, vulnerable to being seduced by sin, and yet it's for those in here who really want to walk with the Lord. And it's not going to be one of those sermons where you come up to your pastor and say, man, that was such a good sermon. That was so inspirational. It's not going to be like that at all. Someone came up to me this morning and said, Pastor, after last week's sermon, I just wanted to hug you. I said, yeah, but after today, you're going to want to hit me. <laughs> we're talking about getting in your life, looking at your heart. It can be messy. We're talking about walking with the Lord in holiness. If you've ever read the Bible, God does not mess around when he talks about holiness. He expects his people to be holy as he is holy. And that's where we're going. So let's dive in. First Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, we're still in it. Apostle has written this letter to the church in order to encourage them to endure in the face of suffering. They're God's chosen people. He's given them grace. He's given them Jesus. He's given them salvation. They were to hang on until Christ came back. But not only were they to endure and persevere in grace, but they were to also walk in holiness. The appropriate response to God's grace is a response of holiness. And that's what he hits on today. And we're going to look at three categories. Uh, a, a woman named Jen Wilkin has some great categories that I want to share with you as we go through this text. And here are the three. Holiness in what we think. Holiness in what we feel. Holiness in how we act. Do you see that? The appropriate response to the gospel is holiness in our thinking, feeling, and acting. You could say your head, your heart, your hands. Holiness in what we think, feel, and act. So let's start with holiness in what we think. Look at verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Just as a, a runner would get set to run, so you should get your mind ready for action. You need to have your mind intentionally thinking in right ways directed by God's Word. You're not to be mindless, but you're to be mindful. I, ju I just read yesterday that someone said, your mind is also your mind field. Your mind is also your minefield. And I cannot stress enough the importance of getting in God's Word and getting God's Word in you. 
and memorizing the Word of God. Does anybody know a good book for that? So, that's for another time, another place. All right. Back to verse 13. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's to be this guarding against being intoxicated with the world. They were to keep sober in spirit. There needs to be this internal guarding and dealing with things of the world that look intoxicated to us. We are to be sober, not drunk with alcohol. Sober, not drunk with power. Sober, not drunk with materialism or greed. Sober, not drunk with fantasies or jealousies. Sober, not drunk with political power or political gains or political games. We are to be people who are sober. And the way we stay sober is we look to the future grace that is coming. Once again, look at verse 13. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our hope is to look forward to the grace that is coming, where we're going to receive our inheritance, be free from the presence of sin, be free from pain and suffering, and be with Jesus forever. And we tend to think of those things, this future grace, as helping us to endure, that we can endure a little bit longer because we know our suffering will end. But this future grace is also meant to make you walk in holiness because future grace is coming. And I want to be about future grace. I want my family to be about future grace. And I want you to be about future grace because not only present grace, but future grace motivates us to walk in holiness. But not just holiness in what we think, but also in holiness in what we feel. Look at verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust. That's feelings. The former lust which were yours in your ignorance. This is primarily a Gentile audience. And they walked in their former lust and their idolatry and immorality. And as pagans, they were driven by a variety of ignorance by what they felt. But now the text says that they are obedient children who no longer have to pursue what they feel. Do you believe that? you can actually be driven by the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit than giving in to what you feel. You do not have to be dominated by what you feel. In fact, we can ask God to reorder our affections so they start to be reordered more in line with His Word. One of my favorite authors is a guy named Paul Miller. and He just wrote a new book. I just started reading it. It's called The J-Curve. The J-curve. And it's about the death and resurrection of Jesus. But he's saying as believers, all of us on a daily basis can experience many, M-I-N-I, many deaths and resurrection. Where we put sin to death and we walk in resurrection. The J-curve is we follow the life of Jesus. And he tells this story about this woman who was in a healthy church. She's a young woman. And she was deciding that she was going to get a divorce. And the reason why she was going to get a divorce is she said that she had outgrown her marriage. It's something that she was feeling. I'm done with this. I've outgrown my marriage. It's time to move on. And Paul Miller says that's, that's what's going on in our age, even in our churches. And he calls it feelism. Feelism, where we give in to what we feel, even if it contradicts 
the Word of God. And that's where the J-curve comes into play. We are people who put to death those feelings that stray from the Word of God so that we can have our affections reordered with the Word of God and this J-curve mentality. So not only do we want our thinking to be in holiness and our, and our feelings to be walking in holiness, but also in the way we act. Look at verses 15 and 16. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior, because it is written, written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. As the Father is holy, so you are to be holy in all your behavior. The word holy has the idea of set apart. You are to be set apart for God alone. You are to be set apart from sin. You are to be set apart for a unique and special purpose. And when the church loses this idea of our set-apartness, then we start to have a minimal impact on our culture. Dr. Ken Hughes used to be out at Wheaton uh, Church in, in Wheaton, Illinois. He wrote a book called Set Apart, Calling a Worldly Church to a Godly Life. And his argument is that a worldly church can't reach a lost world, so we need to set ourselves apart to do the work of God. And that's the reality. I mean, if you look like the world, if you're doing the exact same thing that your neighbors are doing with no distinction, no set-apartness, how are we going to impact the world for Christ? Did you know one of the greatest ways that we can impact the world is through this set-apartness, this holiness, where there is a distinction. Not that we're going to go hole up in our homes and never come out, but there is a distinction, there is a set-apartness so that our gospel witness can be unique and distinct and point to the Lord Jesus Christ in all our behavior. And I believe it's this set-apartness that we need to start our days with, our marriages, our families, our lives. And I put together a little thing in your, in your bulletin. Maybe you saw this in your bulletin when you came in. And I threw a couple of prayers on there. We'll look at one. We'll see it later. But the first one is from my former president at ETS, uh, Chuck Swindoll. I'm going to read the, the little prayer that he has. It's, it starts on that side that says, Lord, I set apart my mind for you today. The prayer is, Lord, I set apart my mind for you today. I set apart my passion, my eyes, my ears, my lips. I set apart my motivations, my attitudes, my disciplines. I set apart all these things to you. It's a good prayer to pray as you start your day off. And as we go through the rest of this text and we think about our set-apartness and holiness and how it affects our thinking and our feeling and our acting, it's now expanded. Go back to the text and look at verse 17. Look at verse 17. Verse 17 says, If you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. Are you, do you see it here? It's a combination of thinking, feeling, and acting. Because on the one hand, you're called to feel fear. While on the other hand, you have a rationale in your mind for that which should spur on the actions. Here's the thought process. If God is your Father, then you need to know that He will judge you impartially. So live your life with the appropriate fear. 
Not fear that if any minor slip-up or major slip-up, he's instantly going to send you to hell because you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and the finished work of Christ alone. But this is judgment for believers in the sense of works and lost rewards, etc. And one scholar says it like this. It's a good way to think about how we walk with the Lord. A confident driver, he says, a confident driver also possesses a healthy fear of an accident that prevents him from doing anything foolish. In the same way, we are to have a healthy fear of judgment so we don't veer off into foolishness. And when I was thinking about this, when I commute to work here, I live outside the village, I commute in on Highway 5 to Danville Road. And I know everybody warns me about being careful, biking in the village, someone's probably going to hit me. But I am more scared and fearful on Highway 5 because of things that are breezing by me. And so I'm being very, very alert and very, very careful, checking my mirror on my bike, staying in my lane, avoiding what's coming my way. And it's like I'm on high alert. But it's not that I'm terrified. It's a healthy fear so that I can get to work and get home. So we should live with this healthy fear of the Lord. Not that we're terrified. It's like, hey, I'm walking with the Lord. I'm going to see him soon. Uh, an impartial judgment is coming soon. It doesn't mean he's going to send me to hell, but I'm about to see my father. And so there's this healthy fear as we walk with him on this earth. And now this, this, this logic continues. Look at verses 18 and 19. The, the text gets really heavy and deep. Verses 18 and 19 says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things, like silver or gold from your feudal way of life, inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. These Gentiles were not bought or redeemed out of their pagan way of life through things of the world like silver or gold. Money could not fix the problem. It was with precious blood shed by the spotless Lamb of God. No shedding of the blood, no forgiveness of sins. And it's this blood atonement for God's wrath to pass over the believers, all those who put their faith in Jesus, because Jesus is the spotless Lamb without blemish, without defect, who shed His blood for us to redeem us. And so we should walk in holiness. And this holiness and fear continue in verses 20 and 21. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. I know this is some really heavy and deep stuff. You're probably, and I should encourage you to take some more time later to slow down. But this plan of redemption has been in effect since the foundation of the world through Christ's preexistence and put in place through his incarnation and crucifixion and resurrection. And the eternal reality in Christ is to root our faith deep and our hope deep in the work of God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory. And so now we follow a crucified and resurrected Jesus Christ. We follow a crucified and resurrected Jesus Christ. And in our daily lives, we 
practically experience the J curve. Many deaths and resurrections, we say no to sin as we put it to death. And it's very important for understand that the Christian life, there are times as we follow Christ that it's going to be hard, that we have to say no to ourselves, no to our desires, put that to death so that we can walk in life. I've been interacting with my oldest daughter. She's the one you saw on the stage reciting the scripture with me a few weeks back. She's at Trinity up in Chicago. And one of the things that we talk about all the time is that she is sick and tired of all the self-care talk that's floating around on her college campus. And I've seen it floating around for many years when we were up at Northwestern. And this self-care movement is the idea is that students are experiencing significant amount of depression and anxiety and loneliness. And so the big message these days is that you have to care for yourself, which is very important. I get that. It's very good. But what is happening with this self-care movement? It's invading all our Bible studies, where the Bible studies and the applications is all about self-care. And eventually, and I've had interactions with students where I am saying, hey, man, this is what the Word of God says. You need to, not, you need to stop doing that. You need to put that to death. And that they see it as an affront to their self-care. Because if they feel something, then they can absolutely do something. And if they say no to themselves, then they're not caring for themselves. And this is just not a college student thing. This is a Hot Springs Village thing as well. I mean, many people move here, just it's all about self-care. It's all about doing what I want to do. It's all about fun. Don't give me anything hard. Don't tell me to say no to myself. But my brothers and sisters, we follow a crucified and resurrected Savior. And we are in Him, and we have died, and we have raised, and yet we are still called to put some things to death. And that means sometimes we don't need to talk about self-care. We need to talk about death to self. That's the reality of the Word. And this happens and our thinking, and our feelings, and our acting, it's that J-curve. And there's a little last section here we're not going to skip over. I know some of you might want me to skip over it, but we're not going to because the last section is probably one of the most difficult because it captures the head, heart, and hands by the way we love one another. Don't you wish holiness was just all about you and the Lord and didn't involve other people? Because other people are always the problem. Let's go. Verse 22. <laughs> Since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for sincere love of the brethren, here it comes, fervently love one another from the heart. For you've been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. I hope you saw that there in verses 22, that we are to fervently love one another from the heart. Did you put it all together? That's actions combined with feelings, combined with solid truth. You've been purified by the truth, you have been born again of perishable seed, not imperishable. That is the Word of God, and that will endure forever. So since the Father is the one who gave you birth, then you should imitate Him by fervently 
loving one another from the heart. The Word of God is telling us that your holiness is connected to other people. Your holiness is connected to other people. You've been saved to fervently, aggressively, and sacrificially to love others from the heart. Your holiness is connected to the people. I shared this the other night with our, our small group um, ministry. A 2019 Lifeway research survey found that nearly two-thirds of churchgoers, 65%, agreed with the statement, I can walk with God without other believers. 65%, maybe 65% of you agree with that, that you're good, you can walk with God without other, other believers. I mean, when I, when I shared that with a small group on, on Friday night, I mean, they buy in that that is not the case. But I'm, I'm not sure about everyone in here. You can't walk with God without other believers. You need other believers in your life. It's not about isolations. You need the fervent love of others to grow in the Lord, and they need your fervent love to grow in the Lord. You need to fervently love those in dark valleys. You need to fervently love those steeped in addiction. You need to fervently love those who are suffering the consequences of their sin. And in turn, they need to fervently love you in your dark valleys. They need to fervently love you when you're in the, in the suffering, the consequences of your sin. And they need to fervently love you when you are steeped in addiction. Now, brothers and sisters, we were not meant to do it alone. And we need one another, especially, especially when it comes to this idea of holiness. I know we think about we need one another when we're suffering in our bodies, need people to pray for us, but we need one another to walk with Jesus in holiness. So I'm going to finish up with these last eight. Remember, Beth Moore did these interviews with people. When godly people do ungodly things. And this is what they said. Those who veered off into sin and did foolish things, this is what they said. Number nine, many described overwhelming feelings of powerless. Let's give some gospel hope here. Have you ever been there before? When we are weak, God can be strong. Number 10, many describe something we'll call an addictive nature to the seductive sin. And to that, we'll say no temptation or, or addiction is beyond escape. Number 11, most utterly hated what they were doing, whether it's alcohol or pornography or gambling, people hate it. Number 12, the seduction lasted only for a season. I like this because if you know Christ, you're going to be killing sin and you'll be free by the power of the Holy Spirit. Number 13, Many described a period of spiritual numbness of sorts. And then that what sin does to you? It kind of just numbs you after a while where, where you don't want to repent with godly sorrow. Number 14, many use the same peculiar word to describe what they experience. And that common word is the word web. You ever feel like that when you're stuck in sin? There's like this web. And we want to avoid and break out of these web-like situations. Number 15, many describe the aftermath as a time of slowly increasing awareness rather than an instant wake up. After they moved away from sin, they described it like coming out from under the influence of a drug and they have to gradually get it out of their system. And number 16, best one, feelings of devastation and indescribable sorrow finally came 
ushering in deep repentance. And that's where we want to be today. Not covering up, not dismissing, but godly sorrow, broken repentance, grieving over sin. Maybe you're here this morning and you, like I said, have blown up your world. But now's the time of brokenness, grieving, repenting, to receive grace and mercy, forgiveness in the cross of Christ. Today's that day for you. For all of us here who want to walk in holiness, let me encourage you to start your day off with prayer. And if you see on the flip side of your car, on this card here, I, f- I threw another prayer on there. And this is a prayer by Na- Nancy de Lamas. Her prayer says, Oh God, show me your holiness. Show me more of my sinfulness. Help me to hate sin and to love righteousness as you do. Grant me a deeper conviction of sin and a more thorough spirit of repentance. Make me holy as you are holy. We hope you enjoyed this message. It was preached recently at Village Bible Church. You can hear this message or let others know about it by visiting our website at vbchsv.org. There you can find a lot of additional information about Village Bible Church. What you can only experience with a live visit is the warmth and friendship of the people of BBC. We recommend a visit soon. You will be welcomed. Our Sunday services start at 9.15 a.m. You will enjoy the mix of blended worship music and a practical biblical message like you heard today. If you have any questions, please email us at info at vbchsv.org or call us at 922-0404. That's 922-0404. Meanwhile, have a blessed day as you walk along the way, guided by God's Word.